0: at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Well, good morning again to uh, everybody here. We're grateful that we can be together this morning. Um, I don't have one particular portion of Scripture that I'll be asking you to turn to uh, today, but uh, we'll probably look at a couple along the way. Uh, About a year ago, I spoke in this service on the subject of why in-person church attendance is required. That was the first Sunday in February, uh, 2023. And uh, the focus of that message was on in-person attendance versus online viewing of church services. And uh, that became a problem in the last 20 years uh, with uh, satellite churches and television technology and stuff m- making its way into uh, church uh, assemblies and uh, using that means to, um, to transmit the preaching and teaching of God's Word, hopefully the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Um, but church is not a two-dimensional experience, is it? It's a three-dimensional, what they would call today a haptic experience, audio-visual experience, haptic having to do with touch and audiovisual you're familiar with. It has also togetherness, worship, offering, and all that we've come to know that a church family is. Seeing each other, shaking hands, greeting one another, smile on the face, the atmosphere of um, just being together as people in a community is uh, part of what it's all about. Today's message overlaps that a little bit, but moves beyond to emphasize the important priority of church attendance that we should have in our heart. It's a separate question in, in reality, the question of whether we should do online or in person. Okay, once we've done that, so what is the priority of, on, of uh, in-person attendance? What, how, how much priority should we put on that? And so I'm going to speak with the church family about that today and uh, if the shoe fits, wear it, and uh, if you're online and you're not here, why, maybe it does fit. Uh, and so we encourage you to pay close attention. In fact, I'll end with, a, if I have time, <laughs> with uh, something that might be helpful, a comment on that particular thing. I've spoken to people before, and perhaps you have as well, who say that uh, they uh, have church and home in their house. They have church in nature. Uh, by themselves or just with their family, but it's doubtful that that means much more than enjoying nature or sitting around in the Lazy Boy and relaxing. That's church. Uh, having church by yourself at home is not an assembling of Christians for worship, for instruction, for fellowship. There's no pastor there. There are no deacons. There are no uh, gifted uh, people by God's Spirit to have certain you know functions in uh, that little a uh, one-person church service, so to speak. It's uh, kind of an oxymoron having church at home like that. It's like having a, a party with no one else present. Or if you uh, tell your boss, well, I'm going to go to work out in nature today. Uh, let's see how they, how they respond to that. The church-at-home mindset is a symptom of the radically individualistic bent of our Western culture. We are immersed in it so much that we do not even realize that it is a thing. Are you with me? I I don't know that you are. Um, You are? Yeah? Well, that's good. I'm not trying to be, uh, you know, a pill or anything like that. I'm just saying we live in it so much that we just are so accustomed to it. You know, there are radically communal cultures as well, both are errors: the communal overemphasis and the individualistic overemphasis. Um, so we have to subject our individualism to the scrutiny of Scripture to see if that basic premise holds up, and it does not hold up at all. Uh, we're we're kind of a strange bunch, we Christians, because we live in a culture that is is uh, you know modern, postmodern, Western, individualistic, uh, and There are other people who live in a culture that's postmodern and communistic, say just to take two poles of a spectrum. And our faith comes from the Middle East, which is a different culture at a different time. And uh, it's not just that that culture uh, permeated the Bible and makes Christianity be like that culture, but there are some expectations that God has for his creation as a whole together and for the community of believers that do look a little bit more like a mediating position between those two cultural extremes. When we speak about this, we're concerned for two things, the explicit teaching of the New Testament and the examples that we read there. Now, we also keep an eye toward our historic church practice in our culture as a data point. It's not determinative, of course, but it is, it is something. I hope you would agree. Uh, Over the course of time, churches have developed a practice, a tradition, which doesn't always just come out of thin air, as some people say, oh, that's just tradition. Well, maybe it is tradition, but traditions can be good or they can be bad traditions, right? And so we want to subject ourselves ultimately to the teaching of the New Testament, the examples that we read there. I mean, look at the early church's example of frequency in meeting in Acts chapter 2. And, uh, you know, I don't want you to just chalk this up to, well, it's, you know, initial enthusiasm and it just wore off and we should just not worry about that. We should deeply think about it. Acts 2.46 says, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. I don't think that means, I think it's clear that that doesn't mean that they were there 24-7. It means they were meeting daily. They had responsibilities, they had food preparation, they had jobs, they had work that they had to do, and so on. We see a similar thing in Acts chapter 5, verse 42, and daily in the temple and in every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Of course, you're familiar with the Bible's teaching on the manner of our uh, gathering, uh, the manner which is explicitly stated in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 where it says not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. So it's very clear what this scripture uh, wants for us to, to do. For example, just another one, prayer is essential for the Christian life and is exampled numerous times in the lives of individuals, but corporate prayer is also modeled in scripture. We even see corporate prayer done among people who are not yet Christians. In Acts chapter 16, Paul went to the Riverside where prayer was customarily made, and he found a group of women there, one who was Lydia, a seller of purple. I'm just looking at somebody wearing a kind of almost purple uh, color here, and uh, it made me think of this. Uh, We have the example uh, of that prayer by the Riverside. Uh, Later on in that passage in scripture, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns in the prison. Acts chapter 4 verse 31 speaks of a group of people assembled to pray together saying, look, the, pe- the, the leaders are against us. God, would you give us boldness to preach the word of God? And God did answer that prayer request. The church prayed in Acts chapter 6 as they selected deacons. In Acts chapter 12, the church prayed as a group because Peter was in prison and they were asking God to release him from prison. They could hardly believe their eyes and their ears when God answered that prayer but thank the Lord that he did answer that prayer. Many were there. I wonder if we might be lazy about prayer because we face few serious difficulties. Let me say that again. I wonder if we're lazy about prayer because we face few serious difficulties. Um, Corporate prayer I'm talking about. I I heard uh, tell of this after 9-11, 2001, that churches were filled with people in the days after that event for prayer. Well, why weren't they filled with people before that time of of calamity that struck us? The church prayed in Acts chapter 13 when they sent out the first missionary, Paul and, and the team there in the first missionary tour. Prayer was made around the appointment of elders in Acts chapter 14 verse 23. Paul gathered the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20 and prayed with them and so on in Acts 21 and 27, also, there was corporate time of prayer that was made by the church. That's just one reason why we would gather corporately and why corporate gathering is prioritized. By way of comparison, I wonder if you feel that going to your child's game or match or recital is a priority, or do you feel that going to a friend's funeral is a priority, or do you feel that going to work is a priority? How many times per week? Or do you feel that going to the gym is a priority? How many times per week do you do that? You know, They want you to go three to five times a week, because they figure all the rest of the time you're just sitting around at your desk or whatever, not doing any other exercise. How about going to the doctor? What's the priority of doing that? Some of us have been doing that a little more lately than others, haven't we? <laughs> Unfortunately. What about church? It seems clear to me that regularly attending the meetings of your church is higher priority than all the things that I just listed. This is because life consists in more than what you possess or how long you live. Your spirit is more important. If that's not obvious, let's flesh it out a bit. I've observed, observed a tendency for people to assume, for example, that going to the doctor is more important than going to church. It is not even something that people question. I think you should question that, not going to the doctor. Question the level of priority that you're assigning to it. I'm not suggesting you skip stewardship of your body, far be it for me since we're talking about stewardship in this quarter with a number of our, our men's group and a number of other contexts as well. But if you can do that, stewardship of your body, you can steward your spirit just as well. For younger people, you might skip the gym once in a while, but three times a week has got to be the minimum, right? I mean, if you miss a time of lifting weights, you're going to turn into flab, aren't you? You kind of have that mindset. Well, if you miss hearing God's word one or two times, what's going to happen to your spirit if we live not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God? Now, let's you know, fence in what I'm saying here and not go out the back door and say, well, pastor said there's the 11th commandment about church attendance. <laughs> I didn't say that or the frequency thereof. You know, we, we avoid the charge of legalism. We, we put, put the notion out of our minds entirely. There's not a thou shalt or thou shalt not. You do not earn God's favor by being with your fellow Christians greater than X percent of all church meetings. We understand that principle in a lot of other areas, though. You're you're not required to read your Bible greater than five out of seven days or pray an average of four times every day in order to earn God's favor. Yet, a person who has been given God's favor would have no problem at all voluntarily giving those kinds of offerings to God and even diligently setting some goals for their own good and to show God gratitude and obedient service. Maybe you're in the situation like I was when I was a young person, just without a conscious recognition that the church does have a Sunday evening worship or a Bible instruction service or Wednesday prayer time Uh, like when I was growing up. It just really didn't dawn on me. We didn't do that. My parents didn't take us to church, and I just didn't even think of it. Just like, well, that's that's what it is, I guess. I heard about those things on Sunday night or, you know, prayer meeting. I thought, well, that's just for the in-club or whatever. That's just, that's different people, you know. When it dawned on me that, oh, that's actually me too, then my spiritual life really began to change. Or maybe it was that my spiritual life began to change, and then I realized about the conscious recognition that I should have had for those things before, you know, when was the last time you shared the Lord's table with your church? I'm glad you're all here this morning to do that. Uh, but if it's been a long time, don't make excuses, please. You go to the store. You don't miss your doctor appointments. Usually, you go to work and school regularly with no qualms and even feel bad if you miss an appointment. I was thinking about this illustration. Have you ever had a child ask in a serious way, why do I have to go to school? You've all had that habit, right? Uh, you know, is it, this is what they're thinking when they get to be a little bit older. Is it just so parents can get rid of their kids for the day? Uh, you know, or so that you'll train me, the next generation, to be conditioned to send my kids to the school when I grow up so that it's a self fulfilling circular kind of thing over the course of generations and it's all just meaningless? Don't be laughing over there, Jackson. <laughs> You've been thinking about this, haven't you? <laughs> uh, for a moment, the parent who's asked that question might be like, hmm, how do I convince a nine-year-old that school is an important priority? You know, it's clear that he should go for the long-term benefit of his education and be able to get a job. And and besides, there are truancy laws, you know. You're supposed to go to school. Well, that's, maybe they just made those laws to make it easier for parents to tell their kids they had to go to school. <laughs> uh, well, I'm joking a little bit, of course. Similarly, it's, it's, if it's obvious that we should go to school, it's obvious that going to church is an important priority. You should go for the long-term benefit of scriptural education and to participate in worship and be edified. You know, there's no truancy law in the Bible, is there? However, there is a truancy idea in that if you leave off attending for a while, the church would remove you from its membership because you're out of order. Apart from mitigating factors, of course, like genuine home-binding illness, regular non-attendance is a, listen, regular non-attendance is a sin. Let me share with you also another thought in this regard about the idea of sacrifice. Some of us have an internal struggle about not wanting to make sacrifices of our time for the brothers, not realizing, first of all, that it's not our time. Whose time is it? I think that's clear. It's not our time. Um, It's God's time. He's created us. He's made us. He's given us the time. Now, we may have a mindset that feels like, hey, I'm sacrificing what I want to do in order to do what the church leadership is asking me to do. And sacrifice is a Christian virtue. And so if it's the case that going to church is a sacrifice, we should be willing to do it. But let me, I can't stop there. Let me hasten to add this critical concept. It's not really a sacrifice to go to church, not here, not now. It's not a a sacrifice to miss a football game in order to attend church. It's not a sacrifice to go to bed an hour later in order to go to church. It's not a sacrifice to miss some entertainment to go to prayer meeting. It's not a sacrifice to drive in a heated and air-conditioned car with padded seats to your church building to gather with the saints. We have to get a different idea about what sacrifice is. (laughs) It's not comfort. Sacrifice is harder than all of that. The danger in the age in which we live is real. The pressure is tremendous. We need God's word. We need more focus upon Christ in order to combat what we face day in and day out. Let me also talk about the idea of changing behavior or just transformation of conduct. To solve a lack of regular attendance, the issue is not just behavior modification. Rather, it's heart change. And that's much more difficult. The heart needs repentance. The heart needs to reorient its loves. The heart needs to reorient its priorities. <clears throat> your stuff is not more important than God's stuff. We'll just put it that way, okay? We're, we're trying to make disciples, but disciples will naturally attend their church frequently. They will desire to do so, not fight doing so. Uh, the fight in your heart is the problem. Focusing on the root heart issue is the main issue. Love should be the motivation, not compulsion, to attend the services of your local church. And it's here that we can balance love and rebuke. We know that of each other that we we have a war in ourselves against sin. We know that sometimes the war is difficult. We know that sometimes the war is only won when we're confronted, told straight up what needs to be done, and we do it. We all know that our hearts retain a measure of their depravity and they're capable of the most sick desires. So we gently prod one another from this shared experience. I know the feeling and you know the feeling and you know your heart and I know my heart and we know each other's heart is sinful because the scriptures tell us that that's the case. It's more, it's more dreadful than we probably imagine in our little sanitized minds as to the kind of evil that's in our hearts, the evil desires that can come there, the hate that can rise up there, the anger, the frustration, the long-term things that we let simmer and boil and all of a sudden they pop out. Those are things too, by the way, that are subject to our confession and repentance as we come to worship at the table of our Lord. We also say a word of admonition along with this shared gentle prodding of one another to come to church, that if we care <clears throat> only minimally or performatively about our church family, then our priorities are messed up. we have been hearing that word performatively. You know, it's, it's kind of a performance. Uh, if, if that's our attitude about church, then our priorities really are messed up. There is a matter, too, here, uh, according to Hebrews chapter 13:17, and also 1 Thessalonians, that there is an issue of authority here. God has given pastors and teachers to teach the church, to prepare it, to outfit it, edify it, build it up, and to guide it. These also uh, set, with the church leadership altogether, practical policy and expectations, like when church meetings are. And if we're not sovereignly hindered from coming... We should come, if for no other reason than that we are people under authority. So, for all the put all the other reasons aside that we've given, all the motivations, all the thoughts we've just talked about. Even if there's nothing else, there is this: that we are people under authority. Remember the uh, portion in Luke I just shared about the centurion servant. You know, Lord, don't don't have to come to my house. I'm a man under authority. You just say the word, and it will be done. That's how we should be if we're under authority. Back to the individualistic emphasis that I began our message with this morning, we tend to reject any sniff of authority from anybody else. We are our own authority, right? That's how we think. But that's not real life. We're all under some kind of authority, Uh, parents, teachers, bosses, governors, government. Policemen. Is it that we're not under authority in the most important area of our life? You know, the church, no, not under any kind of authority there. But yeah, the government, yeah, the school, yeah, the work, that sort of thing. No, I, I would argue we're under authority in, in that area of our life too, in church. We you know, we don't want a pastor telling us what to do. There's 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 even been a huge battle in Christian circles in the last, say, 30 to 40 years over whether Christ is Lord of the believer's life. I mean, if we're not there, of course we're not going to have anybody else telling us what to do. There's no way that that can even be a thing in Christianity. Christ is Lord of his church. He's Lord of his people. Yes, lordship salvation. <laughs> There's no other salvation that exists. But see, if we're fighting against that, of course we're going to say, oh, I can do church at home, I can do church whenever I want, or I don't have to do it at all because I'm my own boss. Well, if you're your own boss, then something's wrong. You're not a Christian, I don't think. Christ is the, is the master. We can serve one another in love by being together and knowing one another truly. And we, we know that we miss some meetings due to various factors, one-time things or events that take us far away, and we make a prudent decision about them and weigh them and figure that's, this or that thing is worthwhile. But that's, that's the abnormal case, not the normal case. And finally, it's not wise for us to look around and say, well, what about so-and-so, you know? Comparing yourselves among yourselves, Paul said, is what? Not wise. We've got a sister that knows that part of the scriptures. That's correct. It's not wise. In this way, I hope that the application of this message this morning will settle on your heart, your heart individually, and you will consider your ways, not my ways, not your neighbor's ways, your ways. If you want to be individualistic about it, think about how it affects yourself. Between you and God, you and He know your heart toward God's church. He is building His church. And the question is, are you an active co-worker in that task, or are you kind of sitting along on the side watching everybody else do the work? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us some wisdom from Scripture about this, some examples of the apostles of the early church, some instruction on the matter of authority, of priority, teaching us that a, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions, much less the abundance of his entertainment or the abundance of his leisure time or or whatever. It's all obvious from the principles that we touched on today. I ask, Lord, that you would help us. I want to thank you for each person who's here today. They've had that message in some measure touch their heart before and recognize the import of gathering together for the Lord's table. Uh, Today, Lord, help us to evaluate ourselves, examine ourselves to see whether our priorities are the same as your priorities, or if we maybe have made some different priorities than you would have for us. Today would be a good day to change those. I pray your help in that today. And God bless as we participate around the table now and remember the Lord's death until he comes in Christ's name.